and church family. Let's welcome one more time uh, our guest pastor over the past few weeks, Alan Parr. We're so blessed to have Alan with us. One second, everybody. Let me get situated here. One thing that need to. Oops. Well, this is. All right. Well, we'll go with it. All right. Oh, I don't think we are up there yet, but they're working at it. Perfect. All right. Thank you. <clears throat> All right. Technology. <laughs> All right. Well, good morning. Uh, first, McKinney, thank you so very much for uh, welcoming me these last few weeks. It's been a privilege and an honor uh, to be with you all, and uh, you all have made me feel so welcome here. And uh, this is uh, feeling, starting to feel like home, so this is good. Uh, my wife and my, my daughter, my son is not here. He's got a soccer game. Why do they have soccer games on Sundays? I don't know. All right, but uh, nonetheless, uh, we are so thankful for uh, this church and for just having the opportunity to serve. Speaking of serving, uh, this morning we're going to be looking at a familiar passage of Scripture, a familiar story. Matter of fact, many unbelievers are familiar with the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And we're going to be in John chapter 6, although we're going to be kind of looking at different versions of uh, the story as it's in all four Gospels. But we're going to talk about, as we continue in the series, Go Love Your Neighbor, we're going to talk about how to be a good neighbor. How to be a good neighbor. So um, I'm sure all of us can think of some good neighbors that we've had uh, over the years, whether you're, you know, actual neighbors or just people that you know. And uh, my wife and I, we are in a wonderful neighborhood now, and uh, there's times whenever we might need certain things from our neighbors. Matter of fact, just a few weeks ago, I was grilling, and uh, we had a whole bunch of people over, and uh, we we're making mac and cheese. And so, uh, not the craft that you make on top of the stovetop, all right? I'm talking about real mac and cheese that requires like sour cream and all of that. Well, we ran out of sour cream. And so, I mean, we were right in the middle of making it. And thankfully, our next door neighbor came through. She was right on time. She said, yes, yeah, sure. We have just as, much, just as much as you need. And so uh, neighbors are there for us in our time of need, good neighbors for that matter. But we can think of some, some times whenever we were not in our current neighborhood, but in our previous neighborhood, which will remain nameless, but uh, we, we really didn't have the best neighbors. I can think of one time when our fence that we were sharing between our house and the house next door had fallen down, maybe due to a storm or whatnot. And so we went to our neighbor expecting that they would be willing to go in half because, after all, half of it's on your side, half it's on our side. Makes sense that they'd be willing to split the cost. Well, to our surprise, they were not willing to do that, and we had to uh, foot the bill for the entire thing. Those are examples of people who are not good neighbors. Don't be that type of neighbor, all right? Don't do that. We want to make sure that as Christians, we're always being the best neighbors. And so we're going to talk about that uh, today. And so as we ramp up and look at John chapter 6, we want to, as always, as we've been doing this month, look at the background to 
this passage of Scripture. And so we'll do a little bit of uh, harmony of the Gospels, a little background of the Gospels. Each Gospel was written uh, to a different group of people in different places for different purposes. And so when you look at the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew was written primarily to a Jewish audience, which is the reason why when you look at Matthew, there are so many references back to the Old Testament and there's this long, lengthy genealogy filled with a whole bunch of names that many of us may not be able to pronounce. And when we're reading through the Bible, we skip that, all right? But uh, Matthew's purpose was to try to use as much of the Old Testament Scripture as possible to try to prove to this Jewish audience that this Jesus, whom you just crucified, was indeed the Messiah that the Old Testament had promised. And then you look at Mark. Mark is much shorter, which makes sense because Mark was writing primarily to a Roman audience. And Romans didn't care about details about Jesus' nativity scene and, and uh, details about his childhood and his birth and all of these different things. And certainly they didn't care about a whole bunch of names, genealogy from people that they didn't even know who they were. And so Mark omitted all those things and he focused his gospel on action right? Jesus' miracles and his healings and different things like that because he wanted to prove to these Romans that Jesus is a man who could do some things, who could change some things. And then you look at the Gospel of Luke, and Luke was written primarily to a, a Gentile audience. And we know the Gentiles were kind of hated. They were kind of seen as the outcasts of society. And so therefore, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sought to write a gospel that would convince non-Jewish readers that Jesus didn't just come for Jewish people, he came for the down and out, he came for people who made mistakes, he came for people who maybe weren't seen in the best light. And so that's why he put stories like the parable of the prodigal son and the parable of the good Samaritan and the parable of the woman who uh, uh, washed Jesus' feet with her hair and dried him with, excuse me, washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried them with her hair because she had lived a very promiscuous life. And so we see all these things. And then we come to the Gospel of John, and John's focus is much different. As a matter of fact, John tells us what his purpose is. He says, I'm going to be straight up and tell you, my purpose is so that you might believe not that Jesus was just a good person or a good man or a good teacher or a good prophet. No, I want you to read my Gospel and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this Jesus is God. God. He says, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life, true life, by the power of his name, which is why he starts his gospel off. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? God. John is trying to prove that Jesus is indeed God. And so how does he do that? He does that through organizing his gospel around seven miraculous signs and seven I am statements. And the idea is that if I can show in my gospel that Jesus did these seven things that only God can do, then you can't read this gospel and come away with any other conclusion than Jesus must be God. So he gives these seven signs and he also talks about seven things that Jesus said, I am the door, I am the life, I am the resurrection, I am the bread, right? He says all these things which, which clearly communicate Jesus' deity. So the idea is that the signs that Jesus performed in John point to the work of Christ and the statements that he made point to his person. 
And so when we come to John chapter 6, this is the fourth of seven, really eight, because the eighth sign is the greatest sign of all, which is him raising himself from the dead, right, the resurrection. But the fourth sign in John is this miraculous story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. And this is the only miracle other than the resurrection that is actually found in all four Gospels. And for that reason, we're not going to stay just in John chapter 6 this morning. We're going to piece together a bit here from Matthew's account, a little bit from Mark's account, a little bit from Luke's account, a little bit from John's account, because as you put them all together, there's details in these different Gospels, these details, that when you read them all together, it puts the whole story together, all right? So, uh, first and foremost, I want to be clear, who is my neighbor? Because I want to make sure that we know that these principles, we're going to look at four principles from this story about serving other people and being a good neighbor, they really apply to any relationship at all. It's not just the people who live next to us in our, in our communities and in our neighborhoods. These, these uh, principles apply to our interpersonal relationships, and they really, really apply. If you're married, they really, really apply in your marriage and in your parenting as well. So keep that in mind as we go through these. My neighbor is anyone that I have the opportunity to serve. That's really what we're talking about is how can I be a better servant to people? And why is that important? Because Jesus made it very clear. The greatest among you must be a servant. He says, if you want to be great, you got to go counterculture and you actually have to serve others. So, four things we can learn about being a good neighbor, which really is all about serving the people that God places in our midst. All right, lesson number one is that serving others is often inconvenient. It's inconvenient. You know, sometimes we can find ourselves waiting for there to be a convenient time to serve other people, or waiting for us to have a feeling of, yes, man, I, I feel like doing this. I feel like serving you today, right? And, and oftentimes, if we wait for that feeling, if we wait for a time to be convenient, we don't get around to serving other people. And so as we look at this story, and you look at the background to Jesus feeding the 5,000, we will discover that this was not a convenient time for Jesus to be doing this miracle. He had some things going on. As a matter of fact, the first thing we notice is that Jesus was grieving. He was grieving the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. Notice it says here, so John, his cousin, was beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. Later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. So, wow, imagine this. this. I mean, imagine if somebody expected you to serve right after you just lost somebody who was very, very important to you. This is John the Baptist. This is his cousin. This is somebody he undoubtedly grew up with. This is the person that Jesus said, there will, among those born of women, there'll never be anyone greater than John the Baptist. It says this, then they went and told Jesus what had happened. They told Jesus that John had been beheaded. And as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be what? Alone. To be alone. He was grieving. He was grieving the death of his cousin. And yet we see Jesus thinking about other people. 
You know, sometimes we can be so focused on our own personal grief that we miss the opportunity to serve others in their time of need. That's so true. Sometimes we can be, be like, man, I need somebody to, to, to minister to me. I need somebody to serve me. And if we have a lot of that going on, we oftentimes are not mentally, emotionally, and spiritually available to even meet the needs of other people because we're so focused on what's going on in our own lives. So Jesus was grieving. It was not a good time for him. But not only was he grieving, he and the disciples were fatigued. If you read the background of the story, you'll see that Jesus' disciples had just returned from a long missionary journey where Jesus sent them off to do some work, and they had been working for some time. They were very tired, and Jesus was so tired. Notice it says here, then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves. Have you ever just needed some time alone where you just want to be by yourself? You don't want to be bothered by anyone, right? He says, let us go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. I know sometimes I can get so busy working that my wife has to remind me to eat. <laughs> right? She's like, did you eat today? I'm like, man, it's 2.30. Right, I haven't eaten anything because I get so focused on my work. That's what was going on with them. They were so focused on healing and doing miracles and teaching the people and doing kingdom work. And they're moving around from here to here. They were so busy. They just wanted to get away. They just wanted some quiet time. They just wanted to rest. They just needed time away. So they left by boat for a quiet place, thinking that they would be able to sneak away where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. <laughs> and it says here, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. So imagine this, right? Jesus is like, hey, we can get in this boat and we're going to go over there, kind of sneak away, get to a nice remote place and be quiet and rest and relax. I can grieve. I can think about John the Baptist. Some people recognize him and said, okay, I see where their boat is headed. We're going to beat, beat them there. We're going to go down the shore, and we're actually going to beat them there and get them get there before they did. I can imagine Jesus was just like, I need some peace and quiet. This is not the best time. It's not convenient. Now, it's funny. God has a sense of humor because uh, on Friday, just a couple days ago, as I was preparing a message on how to be a good neighbor and how to, important it is to serve other people, my neighbor across the street texted me. And I'm like, this is, this is really weird. I mean, he never texts me for anything. He texts me and he says, I know you can't read it. I'll read it to you. But he says, hey, would you be available tomorrow morning early to help me move some furniture from our garage onto the driveway? It's the garage sale weekend or whatnot right? And I'm thinking, oh man, my wife is out of town. She's speaking at a women's conference in San Antonio. I'm on daddy duty. I got all the excuses as to why this would not be a convenient time. Plus, I don't like getting up early in the morning. So I'm thinking all the reasons. And I started typing that, right? Well, actually, I said, well, what time, right? It's possible, but the only thing is Jen is out of town and I'm on daddy duty. Kids may also, kids may be able to stay at home for themselves while I help though. And then he said, it's at like 7.30 or so. I said, oh, goodness sakes. Saturday morning, 7.30. I just want to relax. I just want to be alone, right? And I started to type that. You probably saw those little three dots. Let somebody know that you're typing back, right? He's, I started to type that. 
I was like, no, it's not a good time. But then I said, well, how hypocritical would it be for me to come to First McKinney and preach a message on how to be a good neighbor when my neighbor across the street needs me to move something from his garage? He's not even asking me to move from one apartment to the next. He said, can you move something from the garage to the driveway, right? I'm like, I mean, I, I mean come on. If I can't say yes to that, what kind of neighbor am I? So I said, I, I, I deleted what I said, and I said, I should be able to help with exclamation points to make them know that I really, <laughs> I was excited, you know, couldn't wait to get up and help him, right? I wanted to make, reaffirm that I was a good neighbor, right? I should be able to help. I'll set my alarm to come by at a 7.30 to help. If for some reason I'm not there, please call me. I got you. <laughs> and he says, thank you, sir. You're a good friend. And I said, of course, man, that's what friends and good neighbors do, all right? Now, that wasn't what I was feeling, but I was like, you know, I need to make sure that I'm showing up, I'm stepping up, right? Because <laughs> I was tired. And thank God he had a dolly, too. That helped, too. All right, but the point is that it's not going to be convenient for you. As a matter of fact, the disciples, it wasn't convenient for them. Notice how they responded to this crowd of people. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late, Jesus. It's getting late. Send them away. We got stuff to do. It's tired. It's been a long day. It's been a long week. Can you just send these people away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat? Isn't that what we do sometimes? Or that's what we're tempted to do? Send them away. Can you just, just, just go away? It's not a good time. It's not convenient. But what I see Jesus doing, even though he was fatigued, even though he was grieving, he was still thinking about how he could serve someone else. He saw this as a possibility, not as a problem. He saw this as an opportunity, not as an obstacle. Notice that Jesus served them. He did four things. It says, but the crowds found out where he was going, <laughs> and they followed him. He welcomed them. He said, hey, welcome. I'm so glad you're here, right? He was, had a good mental attitude about it. He welcomed them. He taught them, number two, about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick, and he even gave them a full meal, right? He distributed the food. We know that. He fed the 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. But, you know, one of the reasons why some of us struggle to be a servant, whether it's in our relationships with our spouses or our children or even just people, is because we just don't feel like we have enough time. Our schedules are so packed with so many things that we really, we don't have a lot of bandwidth and a lot of margin to actually serve people because we don't have time. There's a story of a little boy whose father came home from work, and the boy had been waiting to see his father for all day. And his father came home, and, his, and, his, and his, the boy said, Daddy, 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 can we go out in the backyard and, and, and shoot some hoops, and can we play and have a good time? And the father said, well, you know, son, it's been a long day. Daddy's worked really hard today. I'm a little tired. Daddy, Daddy, come on, I haven't just, just for a few minutes, just for 15 minutes. Son, I'm, I, I, we'll have to do it another time. I don't have time right now. I'm a little tired. So, you know, the son walks into the house, and he looks a little sad. And uh, he asks his dad, he says, Daddy, let me ask you a question. How much do you make an hour? And, and the father got angry. He said, you don't need to know that. That's grown folks' business. Hey, we don't need to know. No, no, Daddy, I really need to do. How much do you make an hour? And he said, well, you have, if you have to know, Daddy makes $20 an hour. He said, well, well Daddy, can I borrow $10? And 
and, and, and the father got angry and said, why did you need to borrow money? I, I make enough money to take care of all your needs. Your mom and I work very hard. You don't need to borrow. No, 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 daddy, I need to borrow $10. No, you don't. Now go up to your room. So he sends the boy up to the room, and after a few minutes, the father starts thinking about it. He says, well, you know, maybe I was a little hard on the boy. Maybe I, you know, went off on him a little bit and took my anger out on him. So he goes up to the son's room. He opens the door, and he sees his son pull out 10 little crumpled dollar bills, and he starts counting one, two. And he finds himself getting angry again. Hey, why'd you ask me for money when you already had money? You asked me for $10, and you already had $10. He said, Daddy, 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 no, you don't understand. I didn't have enough. You said you made $20 an hour. I have $10. I borrowed $10 from you. Now I have $20. Daddy, can I buy an hour of your time? And as I think about that, as I think about that, sometimes our lives can be so busy. Sometimes our kids are just asking for a little bit of time from mommy, from daddy. Sometimes our spouses are just asking for a little bit of time. And sometimes our, our, our schedules are so full that the people around us, the people who are most important to us, feel like they have to buy an hour of our time. My brothers and sisters, it's not going to be convenient for us to serve other people. And may we work very hard to make sure that those around us don't feel like we're so busy that to get a little bit of time from us, they have to buy an hour of our time. Point number two, serving others starts with compassion. It starts with compassion. I want you to notice the motivation behind why Jesus wanted to feed these people. It wasn't just because they were hungry, because he had compassion on them. It says here in Mark 6, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. You know what should drive our service to those we're in relationship with? It ought to be that we have compassion on them. You know, the word here for compassion, it means to be deeply moved in one's bowels. It's that feeling that we get in our stomach when somebody shares what's going on in their life, and we just, there's, we just feel it. We feel right here what's going on. That's what Jesus felt when he looked out and he said, man, I've got to do something to serve these people. So compassion, when we talk about compassion, it involves treating other people the way you would want them to treat you. As a matter of fact, the, the whole law, Paul says this, it says can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, hey, in the midst of all the things that I could tell you, Paul says, and Jesus says the same thing, if you just live your life in this one way, you've fulfilled the entire law. And you know, there's a beautiful story in the New Testament. We know it. it's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's, it's a wonderful story because what happens is, as you know, there's, there's this man who is in need and he's by the wayside. And, and he's in the roadside. And, and uh, two of the people that you would expect to be ready to serve don't even do anything. The priest, think of, think of Pastor Sam seeing somebody on the side of the road, right? The priest. And he looks at him and just says, ah, you know what? I don't want to get my hands dirty, literally, because if I touch him, I'll be ceremonially unclean. 
and I'll have to go through the ritual of getting clean and stuff. It's just not worth it. It's just inconvenient, right? So the priest walks away. The Levite is even worse. All right, that would be Pastor Justin, right? All right. <laughs> All right. He actually goes over and inspects him and looks at him and decides, ah, not worth my time. So both of them expected someone else to do what they could have done. And that's the idea. But the person that you wouldn't expect, and that's the twist. Most parables have some sort of twist that Jesus throws in there. Out of nowhere, you would not expect this Samaritan who these people were hated by the Jews. And this Samaritan comes along and goes above and beyond, abandons his wounds, takes him to an inn, uh, puts him on his donkey, and just takes care of him, right? Why? Because the same word, compassion, same Greek word. He felt compassion for him. And you know, may it never be said of us as Christians that we are not the greatest servants of all in our communities, in our schools, in our families, in our neighborhoods. Because a priest and a Levite, you would expect them, those are the Christians, you would expect them to do the work. And yet, a non-believer did what Christians should have done. May it never be said. We as Christians ought to be the best servants of all. So how can we become more compassionate? Because I, I thought about this this week because I'm not naturally compassionate. I have to work at it and be intentional about it. So how can we be more compassionate? Let me just give you a few ways really quickly. First, commit to being fully present. When we're engaging in relationships and conversation with people, make sure that they have our full attention so that we're communicating. Man, I'm, I'm here with you. I'm talking with you. I'm, 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 I'm here for it, man. Hey, Let's talk about this, right? And then practicing good listening skills, just making sure that we are listening because most people that are grieving who need to be served, they just want somebody to, to listen to them. They just want us to be in, intentional about spending time listening to them. Here's another one, putting yourself in their shoes, literally thinking, man, what if I was in their situation? What would I want someone to do for me? And then following up with people. After we have conversations with people, say, hey, you know what? Hey, did you ever get that resolved? Or hey, do you still need help with this? Hey, how are you feeling after you lost your loved one or you lost your job? Has, has anything happened? Just following up with them, text or conversation. And then here's the one I like, anticipating their needs. Anticipating their needs. Oh, my friends, how good does it feel when somebody meets your need before you even have to ask. This is what we see happening in this story where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Do you notice that not one time in this story do the 5,000 ask to be fed? They don't ask at all. But Jesus and the disciples anticipate, hey, we're out here in the middle of the wilderness. It's hot. These people have been out here all day. It's getting late, as they said earlier. They're probably hungry. So they thought ahead and started to anticipate. And notice it says, that evening the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. In other words, it's out far, right? And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. The reason why it's so important for us in our marriages, in our relationships, in our communities, to anticipate other people's needs is because it communicates to the other person that you really do want to do this. Because it's one thing when you and I respond to a request. Hey, can you help me do this? Uh, 
Yeah, sure. That person's still not quite sure if you really want to or you just feel obligated. But when you and I offer to do something, we think ahead and we anticipate. Whenever I think about what my wife needs, she doesn't have to wonder, I wonder if he's doing it because he asked me. No, I offered to do it. So it sets her at ease right away. He must really want to do this, right? So it's one thing when you respond to requests. It's another thing when you actually offer before they ask. How good does it feel when someone in your relationships anticipates and meets your need before you even know that you need it? But here's the third lesson we can learn about being a good neighbor or just serving those around us. Not only is it not going to be convenient, and it's also, it starts with compassion, but serving others involves action. Now, this is quite obvious, but it, it, it involves action. Now, why do I say that? Well, because our words and our feelings must lead to actions in order for it to be service. I say that because it's easy for us to feel compassionate for people, and it's easy for us to say the right things. Man, I feel what you're going through. You lost a loved one. Man, I, I'm sorry, man. I, you lost your job. I, I feel that. I've, I, I've, I've lost my job before, too. Hey, I'm going to pray for you. You're going to be okay. I'm, I'm, I'm in your corner. I'm here for you. See, those are words and feelings, but no action, right? So we need to make sure that whatever we feel and say is followed by something we do. I want you to notice here that Jesus could have fed these people himself, but he wanted to involve his disciples in the process. Let's continue reading. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away. So, in other words, hey, they felt, these disciples felt bad for the people, right? That they didn't have enough food. So they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, no, that's not necessary. You feed them. <laughs> no, don't, don't expect me to do it. Don't expect someone else. You feed them. In other words, act on it. And so here's the principle that we can find in the book of Proverbs. So eloquently put, do not withhold good from those who deserve it, when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. <laughs> I love it when people come to me and say the Bible's not relevant. I can't seem to make the Bible relevant to my life. Well, it doesn't get more relevant than that, right? If we have it within our power, if we have the means and the opportunity meet, we should do our best to meet need. So having compassion is great, but true service requires action. Now, I don't know about you. I'm a little bit biased, but I think the best genre for music is in the 80s and 90s. I don't know about you, all right? But I'm convinced. I don't know what music they have playing now. Okay, I can't get down with that. My wife talks about me all the time. She's like, you're stuck in the 80s. I'm like, yeah, you're right, 80s and 90s. Well, there's a song in the 90s, and I, I don't know if these guys were Christians or not. I think one of them was. But it's a song, and I'm going to play just a short clip of it because I think this song really speaks to the essence of what I'm talking about as far as our service to other people. All right? Listen to just a little bit of it. Some of you remember the song, all right? But really pay attention to the lyrics. Not that I want to, not to 
Before some of us just go straight back to the college days and whatnot, all right? <laughs> but I love that song. I love that song because every time I hear that song, it reminds me that in my relationship with my, my kids and my wife and anybody, it's got to be more than words. And if I show it, I don't have to say it as much because what? They'll already know. Here's the fourth thing we're going to look, fourth and final thing that we're going to look at with regard to serving others, is that serving goes above and beyond. A good neighbor goes above and beyond. I want you to notice here that Jesus went above and beyond. He could have just given them a little bit to eat, but that's not our God. That's not how he rolls. That's not how he operates. It says here, on the contrary, they ate all, excuse me, they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. In other words, Jesus sent them home with some leftover bags and some plates and different things they could take home to their families and things. So when you have people over your house, make sure that you send them home with some leftovers, right? Feed them really well. Do what Jesus did. All right? Now let me give you an example of this. Every so often, my wife and I, we, we like to go out to a fancy restaurant, maybe for our anniversary. And sometimes when you go to these fancy restaurants, this is what you get, all right? Now, I, I know I'm not the only one that gets mad about that. $70 for a steak. What am I going to do with that? What is, that's an appetizer for me. I, I need some food, right? That's, that's the bare minimum. Just, just give me the bare minimum. That's not what I need. So instead, when I really want to get full, I go to Hutchins, right? I go to Hutchins. I know some of y'all are getting ready to go over there right after we leave here, all right? And I don't blame you, all right? I might even meet you there, all right? That's when you, because Hutchins, especially when you get that all-you-can-eat plate, they go above and beyond, right? You get that brisket plate, you get that, them sausages, right? So they give you more than what you need. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach us here, is that whenever you and I serve other people, don't just do the bare minimum because, once again, when you do the bare minimum, it leaves it up to the other person to wonder whether you really wanted to do it or whether you just were doing it because you were asked. But when you go above and beyond, it lets the other person know, man, this person really wanted to serve, and it makes them feel so good. Let me share with you one way that my wife and I like to do this. I think we can all remember whenever, you know, many of us who have children, rather, if you can all remember, when it's, it's tiring, right? It's tiring whenever you have newborns, especially for, this is not me, by the way, but, but I remember when our kids were, we had two under two. And it was just, it was stressful. We had a lot of things going on. And uh, when we got, we had our firstborn, somebody brought us some food. And they, they uh, uh, fed us a real nice meal. We said to ourselves, wow, that was really nice because we don't have any time to, to cook anything. We're tired. So what we decided I have to be careful saying this because I'm sure some of you all are going to try to hit us up for this. But uh, what we decided was for anybody that we know who has kids, or, or has a newborn rather, just gives birth, we said, you know what, we are going to go out of our way and we're going to give them a meal, not just any meal. We're going to go above and beyond. We're going to give them a couple days' worth of food to make sure that they can eat today and have some leftovers. <laughs> Somebody, somebody maybe had their child do that so that I, so I would, you know, we'd get them some food. We'll hook you up some food. All right. 
But we do. We do. We, we do that because we want to anticipate. We don't wait for them to ask or send them their meal train. As soon as we hear that they have a child, hey, when can we bring a meal over? Or when can we get something ordered to your house to show that we genuinely want to have concern for them? And let me really highlight why this is so important as we close. I'm almost done here. But why this is so important. I want you to imagine a triangle. I want you to imagine a triangle. And at the top of that triangle is the word truth. At the bottom left is the word time. And in the bottom right is the word trust. So what happens is all of us want to be able to share truth with people. This works in our relationships as well. It's called the time, trust, truth principle. But in order for us to share truth, praise the Lord, in order, in order for us to share truth with people, we have to first establish trust with them. But in order to establish trust with people, we have to be willing to invest time with them. So everything that I've talked about today is not just so we can do nice things for nice people, but it's primarily because we ultimately, as Christians, want to be in a place where we can share truth with our neighbors. We want to share the gospel with them. We want to tell them about the hope of Jesus Christ in their lives. But we can't do that oftentimes. As uh, Pastor Chris said, it's awkward to just say, hey, how are the cowboys doing? Hey, are you going to go to, Christ you're going to, go to hell when you die, right? It doesn't work like that. But if we establish trust with our neighbors and our friends by investing time, we'll be in a better position to share truth with them. So, what does it look like for us to be a good neighbor? A good neighbor serves others when it's not convenient. We don't wait around for the feeling. Also, a good neighbor expresses genuine compassion for the needs of others. A good neighbor meets the needs of others through tangible acts of service. And then finally, a good neighbor, a servant of God, always goes above and beyond to those who are in need. We do those things, our lives will be better, our marriages will be a lot better, our parenting will be a lot better, our communities, our neighborhoods, our schools, our country, our churches will be a lot better if all of us took the place of being a servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much because we know that it wasn't convenient for Jesus to come and leave his heavenly place, to come down to a place like this, not to be a king, but to be a carpenter and to allow people to mistreat him. And if Jesus is willing to inconvenience himself to the highest degree so that, as he said, that he would come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How much more should we take the posture and follow his example and serve other people? It's in Christ's name we pray and give thanks. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we want to invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's going to preach the Bible and exalt Jesus. 
Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.